Hey, hey, everybody! Welcome back to Contextualize. It's Jim and AJ, and we you are sound here. Ghetto. You sound ghetto. All right. <laughs> no, you again. can't. We we never hey. restarted. We have to. You know, we're here. I'm just kidding. It's Why awesome. Here. This time? Welcome back to contextualize. It's the word. The word just kind of rolls off. Contextualize. The con- we are here to contextualize. It, yeah. Anyway, um, at least we started this time. We did. We did. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, let's let me jump in with this. Um, yes. We've got coming up in a couple of weeks our men's weekend yeah. about a mandatory calling. So, tell us a little bit about that. Well, even the word mandatory, we were playing around, like, what do we call a men's weekend? And I'm like, man, let's make it mandatory. And it sounded a little cheesy, but we don't want the weekend to be mandatory as much as we need to recognize that every man, whether that man is a a young adult man growing into his adult calling, uh, or uh, a single man, or a married man, what does it look like to understand that the Lord gives a design? For, for for how we're to relate to him, how we're to relate to his world, how we're to fulfill the roles he gives to us in mm-hmm. the institutions that he's designed, whether it's marriage or the church. Yeah. Um, and if he has given his people dominion over the earth, what does it look like to be a man? Yeah. Created in the image of God for a purpose. And so we're not going to have it be necessarily a, a study of what it means to be a man. So for those of you that may be right. listening, that's yeah. not what we're doing. But we do want to talk about a particular aspect of being a faithful man in God's kingdom. And, and just to be honest with you, it's what you'd expect us to talk about on this podcast. It's do the men in our church know how to be students of God's word so they can be servants of the word and they can actually be conduits of the word into mm. the lives of those mm. God's put in their life. Because... yeah. We we don't have anything to offer on our own, yeah. like nothing. And so what does it look like for us to think through, do I know how to have God's Holy Spirit work in my life through His Word so that when I pour myself out in my friendships or at work or most dominantly in my family realm, I'm giving away something that God has also deposited in me that will be effective for His glory and for the good of those I serve. And so that's kind of the mandatory, that's where it comes from, is just, it's yeah. not like it's a negotiable right. calling. right. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and just think something for every man who's listening to this to think through is, you know, as Jim described that, um, you may or may not feel convicted to that end um, of, right, knowing God's Word and being a conduit of God's Word in those realms. You may or may not be convicted. And whether you're convicted or not, you may or may not feel equipped in that regard. But I think our hope and, and aim is that both conviction and equipping will come through this weekend, um, and so um, to some degree, uh, and so that's that's I think what you can expect. And um, I'll just say, you know, I think another thing that I'm really excited about about this is just a chance to spend time with other brothers. And so a lot of that's going to be in the content time, if you will, you know, thinking through, listening, discussing, working on stuff in the Word together. Uh, but then, like especially Friday night, and we're just gonna go hang out and eat and, and enjoy each other. And I think I think both the the growth in the word and as well as just the time spent together, just growing as brothers in Christ. I think both of those things are critical aspects of what we absolutely. What we'll so first, first of all, um, if you have already signed up, thank you. If you've not signed up, I would ask you to prioritize it. If you're listening to this, if you're a spouse. Or even a you know a daughter or son and thinking gosh I, 
you know, I want to encourage you to encourage your husband, the father in your home to, to be at this. Um, I was excited to have my son come to me last week. He's 15. Like, Dad, can I go too? And why did he say that? Because he saw some other fathers and sons signing up. So I would say any young adult, kind of teenager and up, this would be very appropriate um, for for the guys. We're not going to mince words. I'll be doing the instructing and the teaching, but we we'll do in some breakout times. Um, I'm I'm pretty jazzed about it. Yeah. Um, and I guess the the last thing I'd say about it is when I meet with men, uh, just to hang out, right? Just hold Jesus high and hang out with others. A lot of the things that guys are best at talking about is the strategic things they're entrusted to do for their employer or in the city and the community that they live in. I mean, we're just, I just enjoy sitting with, with guys who are seeking to be strategic mm-hmm. in the place they've been, mm-hmm. been placed. The challenge for many men is, do I have any strategy attached to the calling God's put on my life to be a disciple of Jesus in the roles he's given to me? Or is all my strategy to try to help my company yeah. sell more widgets yeah. Or to strategize about how to connect to that person out in the community that if I network with them, it's going to be best for my portfolio when really I'm called to connect by God's Holy Spirit to his word so that I'll have an understanding of where to turn for strategy in the things in my life that need guidance, that need truth, that need yeah. something to hold us um, so I'm not tossed to and fro, as right. Paul would write. Right. So right. brothers, um, prioritize it. Yep. I implore you. Um it's a mandatory calling weekend, um, but I hope you'll find it to be mandatory in your heart as well, yeah. and that we'll be there together. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, let's turn to the Word. Um, last week, we got into chapter 6 of Second Corinthians, and today we're going to finish that out. So really looking at uh, 6, 14 through 7, 1, and um, Jim and I were talking, by the way, I, a little side note, I often refer to you, Jim, uh, when I'm talking to my wife, and I'll say Gemini, and it's, Gemini. it's like we become, you know, one horoscope word thing there instead of Jim and I, but... Podcast just got awkward. Anyways, we we <laughs> two guys were talking before this, um, and really this passage um, is, is pretty clear and, and simple in what Paul's saying, um, but it's weighty, and um, yeah, I just think that this will give us a chance to chat through some of what this will look like in our lives. So anyways, um, with that, let's let's jump in. So the, the first phrase uh, is a pretty well-known phrase, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So let's just jump from there. Isn't that verse about marriage, AJ? Absolutely. That's what Paul's talking about here, yes. right? Because then he says, what partner? No, not really. It's yeah, not no, the context is not marriage. Yeah. Um, th- however... In the thing, the next word in the following phrase, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? I think can help instruct us on what's meant by "don't be unequally yoked." Yeah, because you have believers who are being instructed not to be yoked in partnership uh-huh. with those who do not believe that they're citizens in the kingdom of God. Right. Um, that that do not think there's need for light to shine into darkness, but are content in darkness. And so Paul is saying, careful who you partner with, careful who you have fellowship, careful mm-hmm. who you yoke yourself with, mm-hmm. because if you are a believer, you ought not be that connected to, that strategically aligned with those who are not in Christ not. with you. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so that, you know, just jumping from there, that's, it's very easy to apply that in the realm of marriage and that's mm-hmm. and I think that is the context where Absolutely. we most frequently will hear that phrase 
Um, and it's totally valid. Um, and it's very important in that realm, but that's, yeah, that's not exactly what he's, that's not the, the context he's thinking of here. Um, right. He goes righteousness, lawlessness, light, dark, and then 15, what accord has Christ with Belial? Um, so I, I did, I, I did, when I read this, I looked this up earlier. So, um, that's a word that it's from the Hebrew and it means worthlessness. Um, but is sometimes and maybe oftentimes a word for Satan. And so that seems to be what Christ is saying here or what Paul's saying here. Um, and well, then, and then believer and unbeliever, believer, in unbeliever. The next, yeah. and then temple of God with idols. So that's what five or six different, um, pairs that, that don't go together. Um, so what, I don't know, just thinking about his context here, right? He's not talking about marriage on the surface. Like, why does Paul go here? Why does Paul give this instruction? I think 1 Corinthians point? is helpful to this end. Okay. Because this is the second letter to the same church, and, a, and the culture is obviously not radically changed in Corinth that quickly between the, these yeah, two letters right. that we've studied. And you have in the book of 1 Corinthians just major concern that the church's view of sexuality... I think the church's view of gender, the church's view of beauty, the church's uh-huh. view of how to handle conflict. Paul is saying, who are you partnering with in your definitions? Yeah. Who are you fellowshipping with in your um, navigation of conflicts, right? Are you are you going to the courts of Corinth mm-hmm. to settle disputes among you and to sue one another? And, that? and he, So the Corinth, First Corinthians, excuse me, brings up a lot of the situations in Corinth that would cause Paul to write to the church and say, what I'm saying to you is you are to be set apart. Mm-hmm. And if you are set apart, then you want a fellowship. Now, we can maybe unpack this later, and maybe now is a good time. I think this passage begs for a beautiful, robust definition of mission. Okay. So Let's go there. Yeah. So Jesus hung out with tax collectors right. and sinners. <laughs> Jesus... He, he dined with them. He put yeah. his feet up and yeah. relaxed and reclined with yeah. them. It, he was intimate, but he was sharing with them their need for something that would satisfy their thirst. His, his time with them was to show them the dignity and the beauty by which they'd been created, which the fall had taken from them. They needed to repent and turn to, turn to the kingdom of God. And so you have mission being, I think, not dismissed by this text. Yeah. In fact, if anything, mission is... It's like the screaming uh, between the lines call of this text is if if the church then isn't supposed to fellowship with the world, then what do we do with the world? Yeah. We, we seek to announce the goodness of the gospel so the world can also be saved and then we can fellowship with the world yeah. because we're in Christ together. So yeah. um, I just want to make sure I make that qualification. No, that's good because it, it can be easy to, to take this text and kind of run with it in a, an unrestricted way. Of thinking, oh, like we're not supposed to have interaction with unbelievers or, or kind of go there. I mean, you could do that. But, right, even just jumping back to chapter five and in chapter six, I mean, mission, as you talked about, is in the context. Um, and he's talking about like he's made us ambassadors. And, and that maybe that's even a helpful metaphor where an ambassador lives in a foreign land, but his partnership is with the homeland. Kind of Absolutely. Idea. And yes. then um, chapter 6, verse 1, and we talked about this several weeks ago. He says, working together with him, we appeal to you. And so I, that just stood out to me as I was thinking about this, that we can't partner with and work alongside of non-believers while we're also working with and partnering with God. Because then we're linking God with that which is unholy. 
We're, we're connecting light and darkness, as Paul would say here. Yeah, and, and I don't think that the scriptures are going to make us necessarily go into commerce in all sorts of things. Right. Now, I would say if, if, uh, if I were starting a business, I would want this to be applied. I would want a business partner to align with what I believe stewardship looks like according to God's sure. design, right? Yeah. Right. So right. anyway, but, but I understand that we have men and women that are listening right now who are out in the work world, right. who are constantly sitting around the table and strategizing with partners, stakeholders yeah. Yeah. who may not be aligned with them spiritually. Yeah. I don't think the script, the scriptures here are denigrating that right. by saying, right. no, you're not to do that because we're called to be in, but not of the world. Right. Um, I might liken it to, you know, my, my children on sports teams, we talk about it all the time, um, particularly even maybe my daughter who's on a college athlete, just to say, all right, so you're all called to pull in the same direction and you will have teammates. What does it look like for you to be a great teammate that gives your all, that seeks to steward your body and your time for the Lord, not for men? Um, but you're probably not going to be best friends with all of your teammates. Why? Because some of them are not going to be walking in step with mm-hmm. the the law of God or the reconciling nature of the gospel of God. Mm-hmm. You need to walk in step with teammates who are going to help you engage the rest of your team yeah. with the same worldview. Yeah. But you should be a great teammate to all the teammates you have, no matter what their worldview. Right. Some you're going to be an evangelist of while you're a great soccer teammate. And then there's others that you need to have be co-disciples with following after Jesus so you can actually understand and have a common grid by which you discern how you're supposed to be teammates. So I think that's sort of the illustration yeah. here. That's Yeah, I think that's great. And um, so maybe a way to just think about this passage, verse 14 is this command, right? It's an instruction. Um, and then 14b uh, down to like 16 is kind of this rhetorical argumentation of asking these questions to drive home a point of th- there's a distinction, there's a separation, there's a difference. Um, but then... At the end of 16, and he goes into this, uh, this quote of a couple Old Testament passages, um, he kind of sums those up. He jumps from the idea of what agreement has the temple of God with idols. And then he says, we are the temple of the living God. And then he talks about what that means from the Old Testament there. Um, and so just some of the stuff that, that I see there is, um, you know, part of what it means to be the temple is that we are God's dwelling. And that's what he says first, that we're his people, he's our God, but there's a, a dwelling relationship, an intimate relationship, because we are God's temple. Um, and then the second part there, 17, it really drives home the distinction part, right? That go out from their midst, separate from them, uh, touch no un- unclean thing. Um, so that there's a distinction between those who are God's and those who are not. Um, and then right, verse 18 is, is kind of that familial language. I'll be a father, you'll be sons and daughters. Um, so all of that, it seems like for Paul in this part, wrapped up in the idea of being a temple. Yeah. So. There's something incredibly deep. So instead of him just saying, consider your external behavior and don't act like the people around you. He actually, as you're, as you're conveying there, starting in 16 and 17, is going to convey internally we've been changed. Mm-hmm. Internally he is with us. Um, we have been made as a people of his possession, so we're separate. Um, but you really have an identity description here, not just a behavior description. Right. And I think that's critical. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then so, so he finishes up in, in seven, right? Since we have these promises. Um, and so he, he, 
He's, he looks back to these Old Testament passages and says, these are promises that we have. Earlier in this letter, he talked about every promise is yes in Christ. And so these promises are true of us. We are God's dwelling. He is walking among us. We're his people. He's our God. And we've been separated out. We're his sons and daughters. Since we have those, then really, he says, we got to cleanse ourselves. We got to, um, from every defilement of body and spirit and bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. So that's a quite a phrase there. What Just... Talk, talk about that for bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The Bible is pretty clear in other places. Paul himself is very clear in other places that the righteousness we have before God is not our own. It's been credited to us because we cannot in our own strength nor perfectly be holy as yeah. he is holy, right. though we are still required to do that. However, when his spirit is given to us and he dwells inside of us, I think you have a description here of our sanctification is the completion, is the completing, the, the, the progressing toward that which is real. Yeah. That which has been declared full in God's sight until the day in which we are made fully righteous. So we are seeking to have our sanctification be an incarnation, if you will, a visible reality of distinction mm-hmm. that apart from God's work, we, we can't do it on our own anyway. Um, but instead of Christians just pointing to Jesus, I think you have the apostle also here saying, in the fear of God, we want to actually point to the church. Yeah, We can point to ourselves right. and say, by the grace of God, I'm being changed. I'm, being, right. I'm conforming into the renewed image yeah. uh, that he, the new creation I'm created to be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, the word completion is very powerful there. Yeah, and I, I think it's helpful to me to see... Um, just that idea in connection with the temple language that he has here of just thinking, okay, if if we are the temple of God, then any remaining and ongoing sin that, you know, and, and that's there, like that's as long as we're in this life, like that's going to be there. But any of that sin is, is, is dirtying the temple of God and it calls for us to have this ongoing cleansing of ourselves by God's spirit. Right, as he works that in us, um, so that really we would be a, a fit vessel or a, a clean temple for him. And ultimately, he's like that's the promise is he's going to bring his church to that point. Uh, thinking of like Ephesians 5, he's going to present us in, in purity and splendor before him. Uh, but there is a call, even right now, that we would be being sanctified in light of the fact that we are God's yeah. temple, his dwelling place, his home. So you mentioned uh, the plurality uh, earlier, even though you were joking about Jim and I. Uh, you know, we are not, no, AJ and I are not one being. Uh, but it does, it, it behooves us to notice in chapter 7, verse 1, that it's plural. Yeah. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement. Um, let us bring holiness to completion. So it's in the plural, which fits with what's been said in 14 and following of chapter 6, that yeah. I, I can't be holy without... The means of grace that God's designed, obviously His Word, His Holy Spirit, but with His people, walking alongside others who are also asking for God's grace and strength to be undefiled, unfading, kept, preserved. So I think you have the connection there in some regards of if I am going to cleanse myself from every defilement, I need to potentially 
early on in the process discerning who am I partnering with? Mm -hmm. Because that will be one of the avenues, if not one of the most critical avenues yeah. toward which we will be able to bring holiness to completion. Yeah. In partnership with others who are suffering as we're suffering, but are pointing back to the yeah. righteousness of Christ that's been credited to us. Um, the more I partner with those who I should not be yoked with, right. the, the less likely that I'll be clean, the less yeah. likely that I'll be set apart. Yeah. And so there's a, there is a plurality to this. Yeah, absolutely. And if when we partner with those who aren't following Jesus, then we're going to be being pointed to other things rather than Jesus as the one who cleanses us. Yeah. yeah. Running the turkey trot on Thursday of Thanksgiving, um, a friend of mine here at the church, I won't name his name, but he, he runs also. We talk about running. We've never run together, ever. Yeah. We've never even seen each other running, but we talk about running. We talk about what types of shoes we like, different training pat patterns. And at the turkey trot, this dude just ran right up next to me and called me out, told me to stop being lazy and to pick up the pace. And we functionally finished together. Um, I think he was being gracious to me to help me finish, but we pushed harder. We ran in step. We ran in tandem. We barely talked to each other because we didn't have much breathing to, to do. <laughs> yeah. But it's an illustration here of I needed someone at that moment yeah. to partner with yeah. to run yeah. at the level and the capacity right. that I've been training to on yeah. my own. And so, again, Good I think th that's the it's the linking together of um, you and I, AJ, we were doing this podcast, but we spend a lot of time during the week. We get to work next to each other. But we're ultimately seeking to be partnering light against darkness um, and to see it with a similar frame of mind to uphold one another when our own world or the inputs makes us fragile, makes us yeah. at risk, dirties us. So um, that's needed across yeah. our church. Yeah. It's needed across the church. Right. It's needed by our men and women if they're in a workplace or in an academic realm or in a hospital. Do you know who you are partnering with in that environment that will also be able to help you walk in step? Do you know who a believer is on your team? Or is it all so secret and it's all so quiet you don't know, so therefore you don't feel like you have partnership in that place? Yeah. So I think it's a calling for us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just a great question to ponder. Who are you yoked to? Who's who's the ox walking next to you? Mm -hmm. And where are they going? Uh, and how's that going to affect you? It's a great question. It's beautiful. Um, so. Can I say one last thing? It, st it stands out to me as... Reflecting our philosophy of ministry as a church in an indirect way. Many of us in the world want to partner with people who are just like us. We want to be yoked with people who are in the same stage, same age, same likes same and hobbies. hobbies. Yeah. And there's natural, there's going to be natural affinity. And I think it's awesome. People that want to go hike are going to go hike. The artists that want to do things are going to, right. so I get sure. that. But at Christ Community, we're, we tried to be intentional yeah. to say, no, we're not going to just quarter off parts of our church and say, now go hang out with people that are like you. Mm -hmm. um, we're actually going to say, what makes us alike one another? It's the fact that we have the Spirit in us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And we are called to walk with those who are partners with us in the gospel. And so our community groups are intentionally intergenerational. Our worship is intergenerational. And we, we actually work hard to not quarter people off and say, now there are people that you should partner with that are like you with the same circumstances in your life because what's needed so yeah. deeply is that we see beyond the tempor temporal and all the very visible distinctives that some of us might share, but that would exclude, exclude others. Mm -hmm. um, there, there needs to be an understanding of what biblical partnership 
yoking together should look like, and it's usually not externally driven. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a powerful that's part of the passage. Too. It's great. So. Awesome. This is a great right. section, man. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Merry Christmas. Yeah. We Merry will not do Christmas. this probably for a few weeks into early 22, uh, again, just because of scheduling. But should you not have plans on Christmas Eve, we'd love to have you worship with us. 5.30, a Lessons in Carol's evening uh, should be beautiful. Um, and then, of course, worshiping together on the 26th. But we do pray that you're safe if you're traveling and that you are enjoying the beauty of the gospel and you're comforted by it as a family. Yeah. Amen. All right. See you guys. All right.